All right, Craig, I got bad news for you, dude. Bring it on me. Kanye bailed on Coachella. So I know that that hip concert you were looking forward to in a couple weeks. Kanye West's not going to be there. The genius? (laughs) Jesus. The weekend is going to be there instead. But I was reading some articles that basically said this Coachella is going to be the craziest one yet because they canceled, I think, two years in a row from for the pandemic. And now mm. everyone is just buying tickets like crazy. Like, uh, what is it? Live Nation? They said mm-hmm. that their ticket sales are up 40% since, oh, like wow. from, from 2019. So basically, everyone and their mom is going to a concert. What about their grandpas? I don't know if they and grandpas go. Are they are they invited? Probably not. Yeah. You think they want to see the weekend? Yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of grandmas out there that are very upset that Kanye is not playing. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Right. right. Uh, (laughs) But you have some you have some shows this this year, and you're probably going to attend maybe a couple shows. Yeah, I mean, I go to shows here and there. These days, I feel like I don't get too pumped to go see shows anymore. I it I don't know if it's just because I've like seen so many of my favorite bands growing up multiple times and stuff there is a show that i i was planning on going to a couple years ago is this band called wardruna do a lot of like nordic folk music and if you've watched the show vikings or played assassin's creed valhalla you've heard ian arsilvik's music on something like he's just when it comes to anything that's like viking these days like he's all over it um it's all the viking gigs yeah yeah because he's just got that style down and he's been doing it for so long but yeah, I got tickets to go see them, but then they canceled. This was like COVID was shutting everything down. Yeah. So um, they're going to be playing in, I think, November. It's a bummer because they're actually playing Hellfest, which uh, the band that I play in is going to be playing as well. It's a oh, festival okay. in, in France. They're playing, but I think they're playing the day before us. So I don't think we're going to be there. Oh, I'm not damn. sure. So maybe, maybe we'll get to catch them. But are you going to be able to see any of France? Uh, I don't really have too much plans as far as like traveling or anything. I'm not sure, you know, what they're going to do. An espresso and a croissant, man. Yeah. Just get me a croissant. (laughs) And one of those hats. If you don't come back with one of those hats, I'm going to be upset. Yeah. I think I might need to, I might need to wear one there. (laughs) Maybe I won't get (laughs) dress code. Yeah. I won't get heckled. (laughs) Except if they start talking to me and they're like, oh, this guy's obviously not French. Attack him. (laughs) Right. No. But no, it should, it should be a lot of fun. But yeah, that's a show I've been looking forward to going to see for a long time, and it's finally going to be happening. So if I don't get to catch them over there, for sure, I'm going to be getting to catch them here. And but yeah, I don't really go to do you do you go to shows at all? Or I haven't recently. I used to when I lived in LA more mm-hmm. frequently and played a lot of like clubs and stuff. But mm-hmm. haven't been to one in over two years for sure. Oh wow! Andrew Wong posted a meme about like. Me when I'm at a concert, just studying the band's gear, and he's like, mm-hmm. Sco- "Scoot the lead singer over. No one cares about you." We're looking at amps and we're looking at racks and pedal boards. Yeah, it's like no one cares about you and your fa- fancy pants. I want to. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to see the pedal board. So I listened to Rick Rubin. He did an interview with Lex Friedman that dropped on Friday, and they just kind of talked about music and life Mm -hmm. for a few hours and it was cool. And one of the things that he talked about in the podcast was he said, instead of just imagining how something would sound in your head, when a person suggests an idea to you, go ahead and play it. Like it's worth 
making the actual sound come to life because Mm -hmm. a lot of the time in your head, it's a bad idea. And then when you hear it, the other person was meaning it in a completely different way than you imagined. Mm -hmm. And so he said, it takes more time to actually sit down on the drums and play the idea rather than like describing an idea, but it's always Mm -hmm. worth it because you know, nine, nine out of 10 times, it was actually a good idea that was just poorly described. Yeah. I, I, I agree on that. There's times where I've been in the studio and, um, this was, uh, back when I was the first time we recorded with Zach or in, in this band that I was in. Uh-huh. And I remember, cause he, he's a, he's a very funny guy. Cause we were having some ideas about doing something. I can't remember, but he was just like, that sounds like a horrible idea. <laughs> and then yeah. we're like, well, let's just try it. Right. He's like, all right. All right. But I'm telling you, it's probably not a good idea. And then we did it and he's like, I actually like that. It's pretty good. All right, let's keep moving on. I'm like, what? <laughs> Complete 180. But yeah, that's like like a perfect, like if there's any example that I, I can give that something that I've experienced, it's like, yeah, you, you got to just like hear it because someone can be like, do this drum fill like, you're like, what the hell is that? Like, you're just mouthing out drums. Yeah. But then like you hear it in the context, all right, let's all play it. And then you're like, oh, that actually does work. You're, you're already kind of stuck in demoitis with like a certain idea mm-hmm. and it's kind of hard to you ever had that where you're jamming with some other guys and you just have your heart set on something yeah and then they're like well let's just do this thing and you're just like mm. i mean sometimes you kind of know when you're just like that's that's probably not a great idea <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but have you ever had that where like someone convinced you out of an idea that you thought you had your heart set on I think more often people convince me to use ideas that I didn't like at first. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm the guy who's like, that's a terrible idea. That's me yelling in the back <laughs> from the mix board. So I think that was the lesson I took from it was, okay, you should listen to the actual thing being presented rather than someone's concept or description of it. But mm-hmm. when I used to be in a band, we had a producer who... <laughs> had a producer? Wow. We had a producer. I mean, this is a high school band. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> we, had a, we had a producer who, instead of suggesting certain drum grooves, he would just like hop on the drums and play them. Oh, wow. And he would be like, no, no, just l- listen to what I'm talking about. And like he would play it instead of t- trying to describe it to the drummer. Mm-hmm. And then the drummer would get back up there and he would perform with his own take and own twist. Mm-hmm. But actually hearing the idea was way more important than describing like a mood or feel. And it's easy to get married to the temp or married to your own Mm -hmm. ideas. Sometimes you're like, okay, well, if I want my idea to win, then I have to shut down this person's idea. Like I have to remove his idea for my idea to shine. And -hmm. that's not collaborative at all. Yeah. Where you're just trying to tell them a million and one reasons why their idea is a bad one. (laughs) Right. You know, unless unless you have like real good reason, like it just doesn't fit the groove, Mm -hmm. you know, or they're just doing something that just sounds like a bunch of just like China hits. And it's like, (laughs) well, this is like a mellow keyboard part. We don't want to be obnoxious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I mean, sometimes you have to be that guy and be like, we know it's a fine line. Yeah. And collaboration is hard. We were talking about that where you have multiple people calling shots Mm -hmm. and like you, you were talking about too many chefs in the kitchen. And the Paul McCartney, like the Beatles documentary that Andrew Jackson did on Disney Plus, when George Harrison quits, it's because Paul McCartney and John Lennon are telling him like how to play his guitar. 
Oh and yeah. He finally just says like, well, I can't play it the way you guys are describing. And I, qu- you know what? I think I quit the Beatles. <laughs> and That's how you like, do it. That's what walks out. You know what? Someone tries to tell you how to do your job. I quit. You know what? <laughs> Fine. Here you want, you want to do it your way. You can do it your way. Cause right. that's the thing. Like you have to understand, like everyone has their own specialties, artistic you know? visions. It's, it's like, yeah. It's like if your guitar player is like a more acoustic guy and you're like, you know what? Just like shred on that. It's like, I don't do that. <laughs> you know, it's not my thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's all about harnessing everyone's strengths. And, and I think you can only do so much with what everyone's ability or, you know, what they want to do creatively. So it's like, you can't really like push that. And if you do, it's probably just going to sound forced and probably not that good. Yeah. The other thing Rick Rubin said, you know, he's worked with tons of different artists over the years. And mm-hmm. he said, solo guitar sounds like a human being playing a guitar versus lots of guitars playing at the same time just sounds like guitars. Mm -hmm. And he said the same thing for vocals. It's like, if you bring a whole bunch of voices together, it sounds like a choir or it sounds like, you know, this one big instrument. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you take a singular voice, it has a specific characteristic. It has specific flavor and like human choice in it rather than this group ensemble. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting. You know, he's talking about all these artists basically figuring out ways to bring out their specific genre. And so he does a lot of acapella and a lot of solo instruments. And I thought that was like a cool idea. Yeah, I feel like any kind of singular instrument, it's the heart of something. Kind of like like when we were talking about with Chris last week, having like a basic piano sketch that you then orchestrate from it's like having a good solid singular performance or idea it's like that's the best way to really hear where everything's coming from you know especially with just like you know like say you have like percussion a guitarist and like someone singing there's going to be way more like of a connection i think to that than when there's like so many different elements going on yeah it's like listening to orchestration or orchestral music. It's just like, there's so many things going on. It's like, you can kind of be able to take it in, but you're only really able to focus on like certain elements at a time, but you'd have to listen to it over and over and over to really kind of be able to dissect it versus like something like a quartet or, you know, that's a little bit easier to digest and a a little bit more easier to kind of like have it resonate with you, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's where dynamics come into play too. You know, when the yeah. orchestra pulls back and the solo oboe or the solo clarinet is like singing above the orchestra, mm-hmm. that's typically a special moment that the composer has transcribed. Yeah. And it's like, you have to write all that stuff out because if you're trying to have everyone going pretty hard in the louder dynamics, you know, yeah. woodwinds are just, you know, that's why you don't really hear a lot of woodwinds in like trailer music. Cause it's just... <laughs> It's not, I mean, unless it's like, unless it's a romance. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a rom-com or something, you know, then like, oh, okay, there's my woodwinds. But other than that, it's like, yeah, you got to write for that or else adios. You're not going to hear it. Not going to hear it. So speaking of solo instruments, watch this transition. Carter Burwell. I watched True Grit this weekend. Mm -hmm. I've never seen it from the, uh, from 2010, the Coen brothers one, not the John Wayne one. And Carter Burwell scored it. And he has scored most of the Coen Brothers movies. He actually is a very interesting guy. I kind of did a deep dive on him. And he went to Harvard, but he didn't go as a music major. He was working in animation and doing 3D artistry. And he's like worked in anime 
and traveled in Japan and all this stuff. But he found out about the electronic music studio and basically got a key and just started playing with all of these synths and very early electronic instruments. And this is in like 77, 1977, 78. Whoa. Taking it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's he's like 63, 64, something like that. Mm-hmm. And he was playing like in rock bands and met the Cohen brothers just because he was a guy who does music. So mm-hmm. they really like music. They asked him to do their first film. That's awesome. And so he scores their first film. He doesn't know theory at all. He is kind of doing things by feel. And they really like it. And so then they hire him for this movie Miller Crossing and they knew that they needed an orchestral score and they knew he didn't have any theory and had never done orchestra of any sort at all. And they were still like, Hey, you know what? This dude did good by us. We're going to roll with him. So Carter Burwell basically just rode this wave with the Coen brothers. And I don't know if you've seen no country for old men, Mm -hmm. but he uses a lot of like solo whistling And like, there's very, very sparse music throughout that movie. And this movie, True Grit, you have Jeff Bridges just like waltzing around, uh, muttering Mm -hmm. through the movie, but they, (laughs) they use this hymn all through the movie and he just brings it back over and over again. And they play it with the orchestra and they play it on piano. You hear the, the, the hymn probably 15 times through the movie. They take one really simple theme, like a hymn or a folk song and they roll with it all the way through or like a solo instrument where the solo instrument really shines through the movie. So Carter was out in New York City just like living that that ruffian music life, playing bars and he said that was the reason that they called him was he was just known as this like music guy who could kind of play every instrument a little bit mm-hmm. and he was playing like rock and punk music. He wasn't playing anything close to film music yeah i love that i love i love when you hear those kind of stories of like some like some people just kind of like fall into it yeah because i don't know like i think there's always this conception of like i need to go to film school i need to do this like there's no i mean yeah there there is i think a specific thing people try to do of course i think if you're gonna try to get into film music or film scoring having a good knowledge of different styles is always going to be helpful. Like if you know your way around a keyboard and a computer and you know, that sort of thing, like you're going to have more of an upper hand. Yeah. But not to say you just have a genuine interest and you meet the right person who just changes your life. Exactly. Danny Elfman, Danny Elfman wasn't trying to be a film composer. It just kind of him and Tim Burton's past just crossed and Burton liked what he did and see where he is now it's 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 crazy it's always interesting to hear different people's journeys of how they got into it Mm -hmm. because i think you'll see that there's a lot of similarities but their journeys are always slightly different you know not not everyone if it was just like i went to berkeley and then i (laughs) got hired as this assistant and then now i'm scoring movies if it was just always that then they'd be like all right well then yeah everyone has to go to music school i think i think what it comes down to is is just like your like the way that you learn I don't know. Oh, I know you, you did some schooling, right. For, for music and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, for me, like, well, I mean, one, I couldn't afford it. And two, I, I just have a, the way I like to learn is usually just more on like on my own. If I'm interested, I'll learn it. Like sitting in a, in a school thing, like having someone, all right, you're going to do this. Like that doesn't work for me. Yeah. 
So it's like, I think it really comes down to like how you learn too, because to say, you know, school versus not school, I think both are great. It, some people like need to go to a, to a class. It's like trying to learn like mixed martial arts. Like you need to go to a class and probably have someone kick your ass. Yeah. I just read and books. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could, I mean, you could, it's, it's one of those things that you can read books on it and, and definitely learn that way. But yeah. for some people, they need that, that discipline of, of someone going in and getting screamed at and getting their, their hands slapped by the ruler. I can tell you that reading books about karate does not really teach you karate. Unless you take the book and you just start like chopping them in the air. <laughs> You're like, all right, chapter three, <laughs> just like smashing books all over the across the wall. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone composer's path is different. You know, Michael Giacchino went to music school and then he went to film school, if I'm not mistaken. And so, you know, it's like he wasn't done with his education. He wanted mm -hmm. to, he had all this music knowledge. And then he was like, well, I need to know how the film aspect works too. Yeah. And then you have people, you know, like rock band composers who have never been to music school of any sort and just learn by playing with other people and, you know, self-taught. Yeah. But I think that's what makes some of those scores special and, and different because you're not coming into it with this sort of arsenal of knowledge that is expected the rules yeah you know like there's people that learn the rules and they try to like okay this is my toolkit i know what to do but then when you have someone who doesn't know and they're just like figuring it out in their own way like that's how new styles and new genres happen because more more than likely you ask them and like oh so so how did you come up with this idea like i don't know yeah <laughs> i was uh bored and i started like bowing my guitar and then i thought well that would be cool if i did this and did this and then it just kind of you know, stacks on top of each other. And then you have some piece of music that no one's ever really heard because you just followed your own intuition. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the things this guy Carter Burwell said is when I was orchestrating, I didn't know the rules and I was just basically throwing paint at the page and we liked some of it. <laughs> he was like yeah. the Coen brothers said, Oh, do more of this, do less mm -hmm. of this. And they really helped me kind of like hone in on the sound of each movie. Yeah, that's really cool. I didn't know his name before uh, today, but listen to this run, dude. You got 1996 Fargo. Then you got The Spanish Prisoner, The Big Lebowski, Being John Malkovich, A Knight's Tale, No Country for Old Men, Twilight. You got the Twilight movies. The, oh, Blind, wow. the Blind Side, Hail Caesar, The Founder. So he's got a lot of... He's got some hefty titles under his belt. He's got some, yeah, In Bruges. Where the, Lebowski, man. <laughs> where the wild things are yeah this i guess this is a jeff bridges episode because of true grit hey where's my couch man <laughs> or not couch is rug where's my rug man you pissed on my rug so i think that's all on carter but i thought that was a crazy story and he's a new york based composer so that might be why i'm less familiar with him but i'm definitely familiar with his movies because i always thought no Country for Old Men didn't have a score. It was just, it's just more like very subtle little ambient type. It has, pieces. I believe what he said is it has three or four different cues in it. And they're all very subtle, very low. He said one of them sneaks up behind when they're in, when he's in the convenience store, the gas station. Mm -hmm. uh, he hid this score behind the 60 cycle hum and the wind. And it just keeps rising and rising and rising until like the tension climax. Oh, is this the was it the part where he's trying to get him to call the the, the coin flip? 
Yeah. Call it. I need you to call it. <laughs> I love that scene. How he's like, this coin is this old, and it's traveled all all this all this time to get to this moment. That movie made me mad because of the ending. I was just like, yeah, what are you guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's such a good movie. That movie and and uh, there will be blood are like probably two of my favorite movies that are just so good. Yeah. So he said there's like three or four different cues, but they're all very subtle and light and in the background. So there's mm-hmm. very little music. It's very it's very sparse. Yeah. Sparsic. I pulled a quote from Mr. James Clear in his newsletter. He says, "Look around your environment." Rather than seeing items as objects, see them as magnets for your attention. Each object gently pulls a certain amount of your attention toward it. Whenever you discard something, the tug of that object is released and you get some attention back. So I thought that was kind of an interesting way to think about the items and time sucks in your environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're not subscribed to James Clear's newsletter, it's really good. Yeah, I don't think have... Have I heard of him or maybe you've told he's me He's the about author him of Atomic Habits. Oh, uh, okay. And he's got some he's got some solid advice. Have you heard of Plant Wave? Mm-mm. All right, it's sweeping it's sweeping the world, man. Uh-oh. You take this user-friendly device and you attach <laughs> you attach the the microphones to your plant leaves and then it records ambient music. Wow. Based on the electrical signals of your plants. You really haven't seen this? No, I have not heard of this. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll send you some links. Plant, what's it? What'd you say it's called? Plant wave. Plant wave, baby. So, so is it like there's like a bunch of music that's in this thing, and depending on what it's getting from the plants, or it creates like fresh, completely new. It's using music. the electrical signals from your plants' aliveness, <laughs> uh, biology, to produce like blip, bleeps and bloops. Interesting. So you can use it as like a MIDI controller and there's tons of stuff on YouTube about this, but we could actually even put sound iron products through it, like Quadril or some other like Sonospheres. Mm-hmm. We could we could just have it start playing random ambient tones and it changes <laughs> throughout the day. So people people leave this running for hours. Like does it play different notes? Yeah. So so if your plant is just thriving and getting a bunch of sun it's feeling great it's just gonna be (laughs) playing a bunch of like major does it play like chords or is it just like it's typically one it's typically monophonic but you can use two or three of them and put them on different leaves oh wow you can have a band jam or a plant (laughs) a plant band jam (laughs) a plant band my friend that is exactly what you can do and andrew wong andrew wong was taking them and putting them on his face and like moving his face around and like you know using his brain thinking about stuff and it was working for that too so they're just it'd be interesting to like like go for a run and just like get all like fired up and then just like you know put them in different you know where you have like your um pulses yeah yeah you know like put one on your neck or on like your wrist or something like while you're all riled up because you just ran for like 30 seconds straight or something just see what happens it's just all chaotic just like (laughs) (laughs) chaos music so this is from 2019 a palm-sized block that senses electrical variations in a plant or fungus yeah you can use it on mushrooms using two electrodes which users place onto the organism's surface and the electrical current speed varies depending on how much water the plant is holding between the pair of nodes so this guy put it on a pentatonic 
scale so it just can play five notes but you can you can change that and mm-hmm. he usually plays a flute guitar or harp and then just a ton of reverb so it sounds almost like a euro rack doing some sort of very ambient uh floating reverby mm-hmm. kind of track but it's from plants oh wow are people making albums and music with this now they're just like you know i don't even need to make music anymore i just connect (laughs) a few plants in my studio right my house plant yeah i got a busy day today yeah i just i just put a piano sound on i just slap some valhalla on there (laughs) right call it a day you come back and you're like i got a whole album just ready Mm -hmm. i it wouldn't surprise me to see that if you have like a, a collection of house plants you could make an album entirely from them. And speaking of the reverb that you should use, I just got Crystalline, which is a algorithmic reverb from Baby Audio. And I made a YouTube video the day of because I was inspired by it. So uh, they have a free trial on all their products, I believe. And their reverbs are really nice. They have Spaced Out, which is a delay reverb, and they have this new Crystalline. So I did a YouTube video with Emotional Piano, our Voices of Wind collection, Quadral, uh, Apocalypse Elements, and Glitch Hero. And it sounds really mm-hmm. cool. The presets are great. Lots of presets, which I love. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I The thing I like about it from the, watching the video that you made is how whether you're doing more like ambient sort of like drones and soundscapes, you know, it works great for that. But I like how it sounds a lot for like more percussive type stuff, like for the Glitch Hero being able to like because there's a lot of really cool settings on it where you can like reverse the reverb so it's like you know you had that kind of like cool yeah who doesn't love reverse sounds in anything it's true you know whether you take the sound and reverse it or whether you have a reversed reverb like i thought that was really cool and something that caught my eye because i mean there's so many reverbs now it's like (laughs) right you know but i feel i feel like that one is definitely worth checking out um i've been wanting to check it out too just because I, I think I've been kind of having my go-to reverbs for a long time. Sure. But definitely feel like probably should start branching out, checking out some new ones. And that one is definitely worth checking out. And if you haven't seen that video, definitely check it out on the on our YouTube channel. It's really cool. On the old YouTube. So at this point, we've got our recommendations. And this is just media we've been enjoying. My recommendations are this crystalline reverb you should get the demo for that and then i watched summer of soul which is a documentary about a music concert in the 60s that happened right before woodstock and basically got no attention in harlem new york and Questlove directed it and he just won a oscar and a grammy for it oh wow so it's really cool you get to see a young stevie wonder perform he's 19 years old at the time and it's a bunch of unreleased footage that Questlove and company just worked their way through and uh it's it's a great watch nice there's actually a documentary that i watched i think i might have talked about this on the podcast but it's the the rick james documentary oh, i think okay. i was i was telling you about that and I, I you know i think a lot of people who probably have seen like Chappelle think of it you know because of course he's definitely a wild character and he lived a, a very wild life yeah but there's a lot of stuff about rick james that i didn't know well like like how his start how he got you know got his start and like doing all this stuff with motown and like he's been a part of like you know projects with uh neil young 
Oh, or Neil wow. Diamond, I think. Or yeah, like, one of the he's Neils. Just, like yeah, one of the Neils. But he's just been like hustling, dude. Yeah. Like if there's it, I mean, if you want to watch a story of someone who hustled and like made it, I mean, of course he, you know, he kind of crashed and burned a little bit towards he had a hard the life, end, but for sure. Yeah, but it's it, it's pretty cool and inspiring in in the sense of watching someone who just like you get a lot of people that say no or that doesn't work or you try this or you try to put this band together it doesn't work until eventually it clicks you know yeah. he was just working on his craft and and constantly just trying to get be a better songwriter and craft and hits and stuff and he, yeah it's pretty interesting watch so I, I would recommend checking that one out like as someone who doesn't know much about rick james i was kind of like whoa this is like a whole another aspect of of him that i'd never knew about it peeled back the funky onion <laughs> so before I... <laughs> all right well that wraps us up for today we have some fun guests coming up on the sound iron podcast so make sure to subscribe and review us and all that fun stuff subscribe to our youtube channel and we'll keep this gravy train rolling craig yeah talk yeah. to you next week man all right man take it easy peace